It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Brewing. Each and every week, we look at sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We've got a gambling segment. And, of course, my favorite segment where you can ask me a question on anything by going to Twitter with the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick, I did like the fact that that you and, and my boss, Mark Jusak, tagged me in a, in a tweet from last week about the coach <laughs> that made his guys run sideline to sideline. I thought that was ingenious, to be quite frank. I, I loved it. I mean, you cannot get any more AAU basketball coach than that. That guy should have gone back into the locker rooms, put on the team's jersey, and sat out there for the second half wearing the same jersey as them. If yep. you're going to go full AAU hardo, you got to go all the way. So, so, so last night we we played a game and won, mind you, but we were trying to hold one kid out because he's playing a little bit of, of varsity and he's starting JV. And I got three kids who were six, so I called up a couple of eighth graders, and so we're playing on the fly, right? So late in the game, about a minute and a half to go, and I had two kids get hurt in the game, so I had a kid on the floor with four fouls, and I had a kid that picked up a technical foul late, so that's an automatic. You're done. Have a seat on the bench. It was only about two minutes to go when he did it, but still. So I looked down at one point. I got a kid out there with four fouls, and I I go down the bench. I said, boys, I got a problem right now. I said, here's the thing. You can't play because you're hurt. You can't play because we're holding you out. You can't play because you're hurt. You can't play because you're exhausted, and I appreciate that, and I'm going to hold you out because I need you tomorrow night, and you can't play because I'm mad at you. I said, if he fouls out, guys, I'm going to play with four guys for the last minute and a half. I'm going to have to. So So did he foul out? He did not. He, I, oh. I, we, we were up pretty comfortably. I, I, it wouldn't have been a complete hardship to do it. But still, it was literally I had no options. I was down and I, I had no options. It would not have been a hardship, but it would have been a hard-o move to go with four when you clearly have more than four on your roster. Yeah. That would have been yeah. pretty much like that guy making his team run during a timeout. So Yeah, you're probably right. I probably could have put the one kid in for a minute. It wouldn't have killed him, but yeah. still. <laughs> shout out shout out to Arkansas Pine Bluffs coach for That's beautiful. making his team run during a yes. timeout. That was fantastic stuff. But all right, a lot of good stuff to get into for today's show. Big week in Cincinnati sports. Yep. But if I'm doing a podcast in this city you know what it's going to lead off with. We're talking Crosstown Shootout first. To me, it's the best day of the year in the city every single year. Xavier and Cincinnati will play the 89th edition of the Crosstown Shootout on Saturday. The Musketeers come in with a record of 8-1 and one with wins over Ohio State, Virginia Tech, and Oklahoma State, and a loss to Iowa State. Cincinnati comes in at 7-2. and two. The Bearcats have a notable 20-point win over Illinois. They also beat Georgia. They have losses to Arkansas and Monmouth. Skinny, maybe we can go back and forth here on this, giving one at a time. Sure. But what are some of the central plot points you're focused on heading into this game between these two teams? Is is I, I don't know if we know enough about either one yet, because Xavier just got Zach Fremantle back, and he had a big night last night, 24 points in 20 minutes. This UC team is still evolving. I think we know that they're going to guard. They're going to play hard. They're going to be physical. They're going to be tough. We don't know what we're going to get on the, on the flip side out of Paul Scruggs at times. Um, I know Xavier's a much better offensive team. Uh, I know UC's going to have a hard time scoring it, which we'll get a little bit more into. But but I think overall, it's, do we really know enough about either team at this point? I think we know a little more about Xavier, but again, they added a huge key piece back in the last you know week plus. And guess what? Last night, hey, give him a few more minutes and voila, 24 points and look what he can do. So to me, I think that's the thing. I think the other thing is this has a chance to be um, – a great win for UC, and this has a chance to continue to further the the non-conference resume for Xavier, because I do think UC is going to wind up with a bunch of wins. I don't know how many that's going to be, 18, 19, 20, maybe even 21, depending on how well they do in the league. I still think they're going to wind up with a bunch of wins. 
Um, and, and for Xavier, when you look up, I mean, they got one more one more non-conference game after this. It's a win, win a winning game, a, a bye game, basically, against Moorhead. You got a chance to finish out the non-con with one loss. Then you're, all you're doing inside the league is you're playing for NCAA tournament seat at that point with wins over Ohio State um, and Virginia Tech. And that loss to uh, Iowa State isn't looking awful, and it can even look more, even better tonight because they're hosting uh, rival Iowa. So, um, and, and then you look at the UC side of it. You got Monmouth, well, terrible loss, right? Well, they only got one loss. And when you start looking at their roster, they got a Seton Hall transfer and a North Carolina transfer and the, and the MAAC player of the year back. They play at St. John's tonight. Um, so I'll be interested to see what that score winds up. So I, I think the whole thing is you got a chance for both teams to get what should be a nice win. And we still don't know enough about either team to really make a great projection on it. Yeah, you mentioned Zach Fremantle. I think that's one of the biggest key points for me to look at because Fremantle had 16 points, nine rebounds in this game last year. He's one of those guys that plays with a little more intensity, plays with a little more fire when it comes to these rivalry type games. And that can be a good thing or it can be a negative thing at times, but he's certainly one that gets up for them. And he didn't look anything like himself in the first two games that he returned for against Central Michigan and against Oklahoma State. And I had said, even as recently as yesterday, when I was on with Mo Egger, that I don't think you can look to Zach Fremantle to be a significant piece for Xavier this early on. He's just not the same guy yet. He's not back. Then lo and behold, he goes out and he scores 23 points. He was very efficient from the field. He was running the floor in transition and scoring. He was using drop steps to get his hook shot off. He was finishing in traffic through contact. About the only thing he didn't really do is shoot from the outside in that game. So yeah, I mean, that all of a sudden that adds another wrinkle. And I think if Xavier has another big time weapon and the guy who was supposed to be a first team all big east conference player before the season started and the guy who most people thought was their best player coming into this year uh, that makes a pretty big difference so granted it was only ball state the, the game that he played really well in but at the same time you saw enough there to realize uh, physically he looks like he's pretty much back there may still be some rust there he may not be perfect but i do think he's going to be a bigger factor than i had originally thought yeah, you may not get 30, 32 minutes out of him, right? But you get 25 good minutes out of him. What He played, what, 20 last night. You get 25 good minutes out of him, 27 good minutes out of him. I think it's a huge, huge difference. Yeah, I do too. One of the other ones, and I think a lot of people are kind of viewing this game from the prism of how can UC beat Xavier? Because Xavier is going to be favored by at least several points. Ken Palm has it at eight right now. 72-64 is the Ken Palm predicted score. Xavier's shooting, I think, is going to play a huge factor in this game. If you look at the last four games, Xavier shot the ball really well. They're shooting like 44% from three on over 90 attempts. They've been a different team as a result, especially on the offensive end. The first five games of the year, they weren't shooting the ball so well. And there were some games where they really put themselves in a tough spot, Iowa State being one of them, because they couldn't make shots. It, which team comes out? Is it the team you've seen for the last four games? Is that who they are now? Is Nate Johnson still hot? If that's the case, uh, I think it's going to be a real uphill battle for UC to win this one. Yeah, and I think early on until you knew that Jack Nungy could give you a little bit of offense, um, 
Uh, I know I went to the Kent State early in the year, and they rarely threw the ball to the post to Deontay Miles. And, and I think when you don't have that threat, it just changes the entire offense. And then it also puts a little more pressure on guys to make shots, as opposed to being able now to go inside to Zach Fremantle and go, all right, go get us an easy one here. Go get us a bucket. And I think that changes everything. I think it changes the whole dynamic of the team. And I think that's that's a difference. And, and Nunji too. I mean, Nunji now can give you some minutes off the bench and give you some offense. It's not always on a post-up move, but he dives and he can shoot a face-up shot and he, he can score around the rim. Um, and so I, I think those options now have made Xavier um, a better, more well-rounded offensive team. And it allows you then, if you're a shooter, to not put as much pressure on yourself that, gosh, we got to make a bunch of three-sounder. We're not going to score. Well, no, you got other options to do that now. So I think it's a big, I think they need to shoot it. Don't get me wrong. You can't go out and shoot three of 25 and, and probably win this game. Um, but I don't think they will either. I, I think they got too many options. I, I think the one for me is which Paul Scruggs do you get, right? It hasn't yeah. been a great year for him. Be quite frank, I'm not even sure it's been a good year for him to this point. He's averaging almost as many turnovers as assists. I think 3.8 assists to 3.6 turnovers per game. Only averaging 11. He's not shooting it great. Maybe this is a wake-up call for him, and it'd be a great time to do it with another game to go and then conference play coming up. Well, and something that I always talk about when it comes to this rivalry is seniors playing in the shootout. Guys who know it's their last opportunity, and this one's even more different because Paul Scruggs is playing a fifth year, and this is it for him. And he's the only one that's really in that situation who has experience in the rivalry for multiple years and all of those things. Last year, he goes for 20 points, five rebounds, five assists in the Crosstown shootout. So he's played well against the Bearcats in there, Jim. Paul Scruggs is going to be a big factor in this game, and I'm going to have my eye on him from the start because if he comes out hot, that's another situation where it's going to be really tough for UC to match up with Xavier if if Scruggs returns to form. As you mentioned, he's been scuffling a little bit at times this year. Now, the flip side for UC is um, they've not shot it well. David DeJulius is like 11 for 47, I think. Um, Jeremiah Davenport is is probably one of their better ones at 17 for 50. Uh, they're shooting 29.2% as a team from three. And that includes Mikey Saunders, who I don't think is a shooter at all. He's eight for 17. Mike Adam Woods hasn't shot it well. Masson hasn't shot it well. But in this game, for some reason, there's always that guy that you're like, where did that come from? And maybe David DeJulius does have that kind of game. Maybe Jeremiah Davenport, because he's a hometown kid, has that kind of a game. But UC has to have somebody like that. I don't want to say it has to be an otherworldly game, but it has to be above their norm by a significant chunk. Yeah, you got to have one of those star performances. And for me, I think DeJulius has to play like he's the best player on their team. If he doesn't, I don't know that their offense can really function well enough. He's clearly their best player on that end of the floor. But even taking that one step farther, I think the combination of the Julius and Saunders dictates how this UC team plays on offense for the most part. When those two have been good, UC has looked a lot better. Mike Saunders, though, from game to game, it's tough to know what you're going to get. You know, he scores 20 against Illinois, looks unbelievable. And then he has three games in a row where he scores in single digits, And he turns the ball over a little bit more, you know, against Monmouth, he kind of disappeared was one for seven from the field. Uh, The next game against Miami of Ohio, he only has three points. He's one for five from the field. They only score 59 in a one point win. So that's a big question mark for me is what are you going to get out of Mike Saunders? Is it the guy who scored 20 against Illinois or 14 against Bryant? Or is it going to be the guy who goes one for seven from the field and scores five or six points? That's a big difference between UC's offense when he's on and UC's offense when he's a non-factor. 
Yeah, no, agreed. And and um, their offense has not been great for the most part. So they they need to have, listen. They're not going to keep this game, in my opinion, in the in the high fifties, low sixties. So that means UC is going to have to score to the high sixties, and I just don't know if they're capable of doing that. Not right now. Yeah, I would agree. That's that's going to be the biggest overall talking point for this game is can UC score enough to beat Xavier or play with Xavier in this one. And I, I don't, I'm not expecting a blowout necessarily. It's a rivalry game. I think UC does one thing really well that gives Xavier trouble, which is they play really physical. They make catches tough and they try to make you uncomfortable. Xavier struggled with that sometimes on the offensive end this year. So I think UC can keep this close just with their grit and toughness. And I think their style of play and, and Wes Miller's attitude and what he's instilling in this team works better when you're the plucky underdog and sure not the favorite playing against Bryant or Monmouth at home. You know, I think, I think they're better off if they're playing Illinois on a neutral or playing in Xavier's gym and, and knowing that they're the underdog. Uh, but I kind of lean towards you. I think, you know, Xavier, there's a lot of things going in Xavier's favor and UC is going to need a lot to go right to be able to make up that gap. Yeah. And I think we've talked about it. Um, you know, UC is going to be in a lot of games that they probably shouldn't be in and probably even steal a win or two, see Illinois, honestly, see the Arkansas game. And they're also going to have games where when they don't score enough, there's going to be a Monmouth, which beats them. And Monmouth, I'm telling you, is not a bad team. I know you see no. the name. Monmouth is not a household name. I get all that stuff. They're good. I mean, they're they're pretty darn good. Um, they got some dudes. So in retrospect, that's not going to be really an awful loss, but I get it. it, it but I think that's what this UC team is going to do. You're going to see them steal a win that they probably have no business stealing, and they're going to lose a game where they just don't score enough, and it's going to be an ugly 54 52 loss and you're going to question you know how do they lose that game just they just don't have enough firepower and i think we knew that going in yeah i mean that's going to be what everyone comes back to if the game plays out the way we expect but i don't think it's a given this game is never predictable and when you have a rivalry like this almost anything can happen i think uc is good enough this year that they can absolutely put up a fight and potentially win this game but if everything goes according to what we've seen to this point you have to expect Xavier by a handful to 10 points. Yeah, and the, and the line, I, I I told you before with the podcast, I guessed eight and a half. You said eight on Ken Palm, and I think that's probably where it ends up. It's a tough one for me. I think I'd probably take the points just because of the rivalry game and because you see, I mean, the two losses are, are by less than the eight points, and I think they'll they'll be gritty enough to hang around. I just don't think they have enough firepower to win. Yeah, anytime you can get the shootout at, you know, over five points, it right. always, you always right. feel good about the underdog in that situation, I think, so. We'll see. All right, let's switch gears here. The Bengals are coming off the 41-22 loss to the Chargers on Sunday. It was a costly one, though, more so due to the injuries the team suffered than another tally in the L column. They're back at home again this week as they take on the San Francisco 49ers at 425 p.m. on Sunday. Skinny, how much is that Chargers game going to cost the Bengals going forward now that Logan Wilson is out, Jadobia Wuzie is hurt, Burrow is hurt, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the, the 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 good news first would be that it looks like Riley Reef and Trey Hopkins are trending towards playing. They both were limited participants on Wednesday. That's a great sign that that they're on their way back. And and Zach even mentioned in his press conference that he thought they'd be back. So that's a huge positive. And I and I think we talked on the post game Bengals podcast on on Sunday. I, I think I discounted how much they would miss those guys. I didn't think they you know 
they'd necessarily not miss a beat in the run game or in pass protection, but I didn't think it would be quite as bad as it was. So I think getting those two guys back is huge. The Logan Wilson absence is a big one because you're playing arguably one of the two best tight ends and maybe the best, depending on how you want to rate them and grade them and eyeball test them in George Kittle. Now, some of that's going to fall to, to Von Bell um, for, for coverage, to Jesse Bates for coverage, but it's also going to fall to linebackers. I think the good thing is Jermaine Pratt's coming off arguably one of his best games of his Bengals career, and um, not only did some of the stats show it, but the eyeballs showed it, and then PFF's grade showed it. Uh, I think that's a nice step forward. Uh, I thought Joe Bocci played pretty well, and, and Marcus Bailey looks like is trending back. Now, they're neither one or Logan Wilson, so I can't discount his absence. That's only one guy, and Awujie could play, and we're getting Trey Wayne's trending towards playing, it looks like. Um, so you're adding a piece there, which is huge. So I think the injuries aren't quite as, as catastrophic as it looks. Now, Burroughs Pinky is still an issue, in my opinion. He, you know, he didn't, didn't throw yesterday. He told us he hasn't thrown a ball since Sunday. He, I asked him point blank, is there any reason you think you won't play? And he said, nope, no, I, I'm going to play. So I, 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 I don't think he just says that because it was a Wednesday. I think he really believes it and feels it and, and will. Um, but he's going to have to test it at some point. And, you know, and listen, if you're playing with that and you get that thing banged hard on one play, I mean, how much more catastrophic could it get? I mean, that, that's the part for me I think that's a little scary is he gets banged on it again and hurts it even worse. Then then suddenly maybe he has to come out of the game and maybe that's in the first quarter and hopefully not. Um, so yeah, the injuries are a little bit bad, but I think you got a few guys trending back in the right direction, which is a good thing. Yeah, the Burrow one is obviously the most concerning just because it's on his throwing hand and the amount of times throughout the game where you get hit and sacked you guys are going for strip sacks as you're throwing your hand can get hit you follow through into someone's helmet or shoulder pad or whatever I mean, there are so many opportunities for you to slam that pinky into something or for it to get jarred that you just wonder is he one wrong hit and not even necessarily a bad hit or a big hit like him getting blown up from the blind side or anything just him following through on a pass and banging it onto right. one of his teammate's shoulder pads or something is that something that could hold him out all of a sudden the, for the rest of the game or, or take him out for a week or two. That's what you really worry about right now. I think most as a Bengals fan is this team is nothing without Joe Burrow, if we're being honest. So um, yeah, and that's where I, I do think you're going to see a, a lot. And it, it, some of it also depends on the health of Joe Mixon. Um, he sat out yesterday with an illness and hopefully it's nothing major. Um, but I do think if Reef and Hopkins are back, as it looks like, I think you'll see a whole lot of running game. I mean, the, before this last game, they ran it 38 times in each of the previous two games. I think you'll see a, a game plan trend more towards that. And I think you'll see a lot of quick passing game. And I, you know, you can argue, yeah, that's probably what Frisco looks at too, but I'm, I'm not going to expose Joe Burrow to too many times of getting knocked down where he has to brace himself with that hand. Or as you said, follow through on a pass where you, you get, you know, you hit a, you hit a helmet or the potential to take a deep drop and, and take a deep shot and allow a guy to come around the, the, the backside and go for a strip sack and hit it again. I'm, I'm just, listen, I, I know that probably compromises your game plan. Um, but I got to do a lot of other things to protect that guy. And and you've shown when you've had your all hands on deck, and certainly some of it was defense related with Pittsburgh and, and, and the Raiders, but you've shown you can get in that wide zone scheme and run the ball. And I thought at times, even last week, even when they were down, they kind of stuck to the running game a little bit. And, and, you know, if Joe Mixon doesn't fumble, I think they win the game and stick to the running game even more. So I, I think you'll see a lot of that and, and try not to expose Joe Burrow if, if you can help it at all. How concerned should fans be about that performance last week? Was that a sign of the Bengals are still really inconsistent 
or is it more of a sign of like, cause I, I think there's another way to look at it of they played about as poorly as they can play in terms of the turnovers and some other things that went wrong. And yet they still had their chances to win that game in the fourth quarter. No, I mean, the, the, I mean, I hate to boil it down to as simple as this. I be, I truly believe if Joe Mixon, who never fumbles, if Joe Mixon doesn't fumble, they win that football game. I really believe that. And we're they talking were, about how great they are and how they right. find a way and all how they're continuing to mold into a quote unquote good football team and all of those things. That's kind of how I left the game feeling like that that game sucked. But it sucked because they just threw it away. It wasn't. And, and you can look at that and say, well, you should be better. You shouldn't give games away. But things happen in the NFL. And there right. were some uh, two fluke plays that really cost the Bengals significantly in that one. Uh, for some reason, I came away from that one feeling almost optimistic about where the Bengals are at and still thinking this is a really good team that that had a couple of fluke plays go against them. Yeah, I mean, and, and even at 38-24, they're driving, and, and this is on Joe Burrow. I mean, this was, you know, you can't throw that interception in the end zone. I know he said he's trying to make a play, but listen, dude, live to fight another play and, and, and run another one at that point. Just don't chuck it into the end zone to, into traffic. You know, you score there, it's 38-31 with still eight minutes to go. <laughs> you know, you still had a chance there. Yeah, they, they, they had multiple opportunities to get back in this game, despite it feeling like it, it should have been a blowout. So... Yeah, I, I I don't know. I heard a lot. It, there, it seems like a lot of people were on opposite sides of that game from a Bengals fan perspective. There were some people that are like, see, this is why they're never going to be a good team. And then there were the others that are like, what are you talking about? Like th- that was actually an OK performance and they had multiple opportunities to still win the game. And, and listen, I, I'm not going to excuse turnovers, but two of them, as you mentioned, were extraordinarily fluky. A guy who literally never fumbles, fumbles. Uh, and it turns it not only into a fumble, but it turns it into a scoop and score. And the Jamar Chase interception should have been six. I think I recounted this on Sunday as well. You know, you can, th- there's literally a 34 point swing on turnovers in that game, Rick. I mean, take 17 off of their board, add 17 to the Bengals board, and who wins the football game? Yeah. And uh, uh, turnovers and are everything thing. in this. And I know when you, and I know when you look at the final score, it's like, oh, they got dom. They didn't get dominated. They, they had a stretch in, they, they had a stretch in the first half where they were quite awful defensively. There's no doubt about that part of it, but they kind of settled in, started getting some takeaways um, and, and put themselves in position to win the game. And so I, I think the raw thing is 41, 22, geez, they just got hammered. No, they really didn't. I mean, I can't go back to the stage. It was early fourth quarter down 24, 22, on the cusp of field goal range, maybe even in field goal range, and you hand it off to your running back who has been superb, and he fumbles, and it happens, and it he doesn't fumble. He hasn't fumbled since the opener against the Chargers last year. How do you account for that? You just don't other than, I hate to tell people occasionally, stuff just happens. It just happens. No, I, I couldn't agree more. That's That's how I felt, and it's easy to let the negativity of – years past slip into how you look at this team. And I'm certainly as guilty of that as anyone, but that wasn't this, you know, maybe there was that one moment where they had the delay of game after the timeout coming out for a a two point conversion. But other than that, that was, it wasn't like uh, they're being undisciplined and they're having penalties all over the place that are costing them, or they're, you know, doing a lot of stupid things in terms of breakdowns. It was some fluke plays. And I think you put it best. It it looked like it was a domination. If you look at the score, it wasn't. If you watch the game. No, if you want to look at a domination, you can go back to that, that home opener for Zach Taylor in 2019 against San Francisco, where they ran for well over 200 yards, maybe even 300 yards. And that was an ass kicking. 
I'll give you, that's a domination. I, that's one where you just go, that team's clearly better and the Bengals suck. Absolutely. That's not the case here. It's just not. All right, let's switch gears one more time here before we get to our betting segment. We'll stay with football as the Cincinnati Bearcats beat up on Houston 35-20 to in the AAC championship game, and that was a dominating performance, I would say. The Bearcats clinched their spot in the college football playoff, and as the four seed, they'll take on one seed Alabama at 3.30 on New Year's Eve. That will be followed by Michigan versus Georgia at 7.30 p.m. on New Year's Eve night. Skinny, UC's win was the biggest moment in Cincinnati sports since when? Oh, boy. Um, I will go. I guess I'll have to go since the Reds won the 90 World Series. Or maybe UC going to the Final Four. But UC, maybe UC going to the Final Four, I guess, in 92. I'm trying to think if there's anything in between. The Cyclones winning this Kelly Cup twice. No, come on, come no. on, Chief. The, the, I was only the, five. Hang on, hang on, hang on. The opening of TQL Stadium. <laughs> no, it was when uh, Team USA played a, a friendly or whatever they yes, call it at yes. TQL, right? No, that no, was no, the they, biggest... no. That was that, that was a qualifier. That was a World Cup. Oh, okay, qualifier. well, there you go. Even bigger. That was the biggest sports moment in the world. If you uh, yes, as that's soccer fans, point. that's a good point. Um, what? Would, I was only five when UC made the Final Four. What was that like? Was the buildup? I mean, the NCAA tournament in general is just so different because it's a one, you know, a one month thing, I guess, as opposed to a whole season where you got to keep winning every game and it's a conversation every single week. So there was such a buildup to UC making the college football playoff this year. What was that like when they made the final four? Was there as much hype and media surrounding it at that time? Uh, as, as the thing went along, yes. Um because that team kind of, it didn't come come completely out of nowhere, but, you know, just getting an NCAA tournament berth for that team going into the year would have been an accomplishment. And then they kind of showed throughout the season, hey, they picked up some good parts. The Van Exel kid's pretty good. The Blunt kid's pretty good. Uh, you know, Herb Jones, God rest his soul, was was kind of the first star of, of that group. And, you know, you had some pretty good pieces there. So um, you didn't know it. You didn't know who those guys were, really. Even if you followed recruiting, you really didn't know how good Nick Van Exel was. You really didn't know how good Corey Blunt was. Um, you knew a couple of the holdover guys. Um, so uh, as that thing went along and then they just got in the tournament and they, they got a little bit of luck along the way of, of, pl- of playing some teams that, that got beat, but still they had to beat Memphis a fourth time. And, uh, you know, I, I think it, it was a huge deal. Um, so it, it, it really reinvigorated UC basketball and it took off from there and was a consistent success for the next three decades again. And that, you're talking about coming out of the eighties. UC basketball was dead, man. It was dead in the water. So it was a big deal in that regard. Not quite like this. Um, just because it, it's more special, I think, to be in the final four of the college football playoff, right? At the time when you're selected for the NCAA tournament, you're still one of, at that point, 64. Um, you're one of four, man. That's that's elite category, especially when the committee tried everything in its power to not let you get in. That's the other part. They tried everything, including creeping Oklahoma State to fifth so they could say if Oklahoma State won the title game, uh, you know, that's all they needed to do was win that game and Cincinnati was out. And that, that's where, listen, I'm not a big rush the court, rush the field guy, um, but in this case, 
I thought that was just a really cool moment and a really cool scene because it was almost like all the pressure was finally gone. You watched Oklahoma State lose earlier in the day in dramatic fashion. If you're a fan, then you're at the game, and all you at that point really know is you know if they win, they're in. There's no other scenario where the committee could, could put somebody else in ahead of Cincinnati. You knew that as a fan. You didn't know that probably until Oklahoma State lost, but once that loss had, now you were down to the pressure of hope they win. And so it's 14-13 at half. And you're thinking, oh boy, are they really going to do this? Are they not going to win this game? And then within a seven-minute span, game over, and then it's ready to celebrate. And I thought that was what was so cool about that. That was almost like all of the all of the holding of the breath for all season long of got to win them all, got to have some help. You finally had gotten down to that boil in that one moment, one more half of football, and we're in the college football playoff. And I think that's where you saw the sheer joy. And I thought it was smart to let everybody come rush the field that wanted to rush the field. Yeah, no, a great moment. I mean, if you're a student or just a fan of UC football, it, it really it really doesn't get any better than that as a sports fan. I mean, we haven't had many moments like that period in this area and much less for the last 20 to 30 years. If you're one of, you know, if you're a young guy who hasn't, I mean, I, I can't really think of anything like that. The nineties world series that it was too early in my lifetime for it to really be appreciated in that fashion. So yeah, I mean, that that's just an unbelievable moment. And NKU had a game at Purdue Fort Wayne that day. So we got into the car to leave for home and the stop in the Oklahoma State Baylor game had just happened. He came up an oh, wow. uh, inch short at the goal line. So yep, I see that yep. video and that's setting the stage for us to listen to, to Dan Horde the whole way home and listen to that UC game. So we're listening and obviously UC is in control by the time we're getting close to home. And I got home right before it ends. There was probably a few minutes left on the clock still. I went back out, got into my car and drove around to listen to Dan Horde finish it off just because ah, I wanted to hear awesome. the call. And it gave me goosebumps on his final call when clocks at zeros. He was he was excellent the whole day, but his final calls and the way he handled the ending of that was was perfect. And it was a long time coming for all those guys, so I'm sure he had a little bit of time to plan, you know, how he wanted to do that, but man, it was it was a smooth smooth delivery. I also wanted to ask you skinny, what did you think of the final playoff rankings? Um that's probably how I would have done it, I guess. I, I think you had to avoid at all costs, to be quite honest, a semifinal Georgia-Alabama matchup. Yeah. I just don't think it – and I get It's terrible whole, for the sport. It is. It, you know, and I know now it's the, well, no, the SEC's got a chance to get two in the finals. Well, yeah, they do. Um, but I just think it would have been weird for them to have played in the championship, get the SEC, and then play right away again. Now, it's not right away like the next week, but it's still right away, basically. At least by the time if they play in the championship game, you're now – you know, five weeks removed, and that's the, a lot happens in a five week period. Uh, yeah, I probably would have had him. I, I I wouldn't have faulted. I wouldn't have faulted a Michigan, Alabama, UC, Georgia, but no offense. I I I think they got it right when all was said and done. Um, if you I, think I, Michigan is the best team in the country I, based I, on the I, eye I, test, you, I, I, you haven't I, watched I, football all year. I understand it. I but on the eye test, I still think Georgia's the best football team. I think Agreed. they just had a bad, bad two and a half quarters of football. And that's well, don't you that's think that's I'm, a little weird that they were penalized penalized for being number one after Well, yeah, yes, but again, I go back to I guess you could have argued maybe they should have been two, maybe. I'll I'll give you that. But were you gonna drop Michigan? What did Michigan do wrong last week? Nothing. But um, if, if it, we're it, it, actually but, going off of any type of eye test here, and by the way, Georgia's resume is just fine. They did nothing but win all year long and dominate their schedule until 
a, a SEC championship against the team that we're now calling the best team in the country. Well, so it's and, like, and, that, and, and that's it's where, tough that, for me to penalize that, Georgia. Right. No, the reason I would have gone Michigan one maybe is if you want to compare losses, I guess if you're if you're if you're comparing the the Alabama Michigan part of it, and maybe you maybe in your argument you keep Georgia number one, and I, I'm I'm probably okay with that. I too, would but have. If, yeah. But if you're going, yeah, if you're if you're in the Michigan Alabama argument of it. Michigan's loss to me is far less glaring than than Alabama's loss to Texas A and M. That's all. Yeah. I still think I still think I'm fine with it. I, I I really don't I don't have any real issue with it. I did I did laugh. We were sitting in the press dining room uh, with the sound down, watching the 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 selection show, and I did love. And again, this is all for drama. I all of a sudden they popped up the resumes of UC Notre Dame and Baylor, and I'm like, seriously, are we really going to get into this discussion of who should be number four? Come on now. I mean, it, give me a break. I get it. It's TV. It's a show. But yeah, I don't think there was, and, and there was hardly any suspense to it because you knew there was no way that Alabama and Georgia were going to hook up in a semi. So it was a matter of who does UC play? Do they play? Which which of those other three do they play? And they get Alabama. And here we go. It is just funny though, right? That like Alabama had a, I, I don't know if you call it a bad loss, but had a they, loss they, to they Texas the- A&M. They had the worst loss of any. Well, UC had no losses. So out of the three losses combined, they had the worst loss of the three teams, in my opinion. Right. And yeah, I know. I understand you have the recent head to head matchup where they beat Georgia, but it's like it, it's it's so weird how they do this stuff arbitrarily. Like one yes. for one team, the loss matters for the next team. The loss doesn't matter because they have a more recent win. And it's just they, they change what they're looking at from team to team every week and with each each spot in the playoffs, So um, it doesn't really bother me either way. I thought they had the right four teams in. I figured that was pretty much how it was going to go. But I also do just question how we're judging Georgia. Uh, again, if their only loss all season long, and they clearly looked like the most dominant team was to Alabama, who is supposed to be in the playoff as well. I, I don't know. That, that seems a, a little weird to me that you would punish and, them and, and drop them two spots. And I'll be honest, at 10 nothing Georgia, I thought it was going to be wind up 27-10. I thought they were just going to walk away with it, and that would be that. And kudos to Alabama. Kudos to Bryce Young for winning the Heisman Trophy in that moment of just standing in there and taking a few hits to get some balls delivered deep down the field. So we'll talk more about the game as it approaches. I do think the John Mechie injury is really big for Bama because now you can honestly take Sauce Gardner and you go, you go cover the other cat, we'll take care of the rest. And the fact that Alabama doesn't pass protect great, I, I think you see – I. You give me the 13 and a half and maybe I'll bet it up to 14 and a half just because I, I like the number. Okay. Well, we'll get more into that next week when we get closer to the game. But one more question on this topic. Do you think it may not be anytime soon? It may be a couple years from now, maybe five or 10 years from now. Do you think Luke Fickle will ever regret essentially ignoring all these job openings this year? I don't because I, I really think there's there's two things in play for Luke Fickle if he ever wants to move on. I think it's if Ohio State ever opens up. And I've said it before, I think he'd make a superb NFL coach if he ever so desires. And I think those NFL jobs come open all the time, Rick. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, if Notre Dame was a complete dream job, maybe. Um, but I also, you know, I'm putting myself in his shoes. I really am. And I know this is going to sound quaint and and old-timey. I'm kind of with them. I want to finish this out. I'd like to finish this out. Here's the thing. I'm still going to be a hot commodity next year, and yep. I'll probably still be a hot commodity the year after. And NFL teams I've heard like him. Um, you know that the first phone call of Ryan Day takes an NFL job this year, and that's still on the table. 
first phone call has got to be to Luke Fickle. It just has to be. And it's it's silly if it's not. And I think we'd all agree that it's probably going to be. So, no, I don't think he does. I, I think he wanted to finish what he started and um, see it through. And also knowing other jobs are going to come open. And I've said, I don't know if the Notre Dame job is a great job. I think Brian Kelly did a really nice job resurrecting it. And I think he also realized... I've tapped this thing out, man. I've put us in contention a few times, and a couple times we played in the playoff, we just aren't good enough to play with those guys. And to his credit, he built them back into a national relevance. I just don't know if you win a championship there. It's a tough job. I think if the playoff expands, it's a very good job in terms of you can be in the playoff almost every single year if it goes to eight teams or or what have you. But I also think it's one of those jobs where it ages you a lot faster than the others. It's it's kind of like being the head coach at Kentucky basketball. It's just a lot of issues and extra stuff that you got to put up with and the spotlight and a lot of stuff going on there that I would think make it not as desirable a job, especially for a guy like Luke Fickle, potentially, who seems to like to be a little more keep my head down and and go to work and not have to deal with all of the media obligations that you might at one of the the bigger time programs. Not that he wouldn't handle it just fine. And all the alumni obligations and all the meetings and all the speeches and all of that. There's a lot that comes with it. And Brian Kelly was really good at that stuff. That's a a strength. Yeah. You know what else is a strength is uh, speaking in different dialects. Oh, my word. Got a really good accent. Oh, my word. What are we doing? I need Coach O back. Give me some dreams, sir. Go Tigers. My family. My family, my family. Oh, my it, it's funny. My mother was born in Birmingham, Alabama, and, and and we used to joke when she would get a little bit tipsy, um, her southern accent would come out, and it was kind, it was quite funny. And she had a good one when she wanted to do it. She was very much northernized because uh, they moved up this way when she was a child. But uh, that that southern accent of hers would come out when she when she had a cup when it was it was quite humorous. So I, I kind of relate to Brian. Maybe Brian had a few too many that night. Isn't it the Irishman funny? In him. So the the guy from Boston, the his southern accent came out of him when he got drunk. That, yes. that makes a lot yes. of sense. Yes. I, I do like how people start speaking in like different accents or whatever when they're drinking. That is a weird thing that I've noticed. And it happens all the time, sometimes not even in ways that do make sense. So maybe Brian no, was that's just a fact. drunk because I, I have a friend who um, he goes from speaking very normal and proper to you would think he just came out of like a 504 boys music video when he starts drinking. It's unbelievable. Like, did you ever watch the show? How I met your mother? I I know of it. I, I didn't really okay. watch it. Well, well there, there's a scene where I can't remember which character it is. Um, talks about how great he is doing karaoke rap when he's drunk. <laughs> and it, 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 it shows him what his mind is. And then it shows how he actually is in that. And it's completely, completely different. And it's just great because it's one of them where he's just, he's slurring words, he's messing everything up and he just drops the mic and walks away like he's a star. And I, you're right. That's how sometimes when people get drunk, they, they start speaking in a different tongue and they think they've got it and it's completely bastardized. Yep. Brian Kelly, certified a-hole, certified weirdo. Killer. And, I'd and be, a killer. And, and a killer. People forget killer. that. I'd, uh, I'd be very glad that he wasn't the head coach of my team. So agreed. Uh, good for Notre Dame for him moving on. They, I think they hit a home run with Marcus Freeman and they, they got it right. But going circling back to the, the Luke Fickle situation, the one thing I think people underestimate sometimes is your legacy and what it means to dominate at the place you're at. I think sometimes people just get swept up in the idea that I have to take this job because they are offering more money and it is a higher level. And that's what everyone in my position wants to do is compete at the highest level. So I've just got to take this job because it's available right now and I got to do it. 
I think too many guys get swept up in that. Like, let's play this out for Luke Fickle, like you just brought up. Okay, he just took UC to a college football playoff. He is now a legend at UC. He's a legend in college football because he's the only guy who did that and probably will get the opportunity to do it before because it's probably going to expand and we've got some more realignment that's going to make it tougher for it to happen again. So it's probably the only time this is going to actually be done. And he is still going to be one of the top coaches available for the next five years, even if UC has a downturn for a little no bit. question, no question. People are still going to remember him for being this guy and just think, well, it was, it's cyclical at a school like UC. He's bound to hit a downturn and, you know, that you got to reload and things like that. He will still be one of the top coaches available. So if, I, yeah, I mean, what if he goes and beats Alabama or so? I mean, him staying focused on what UC was doing and getting them to the playoff, first of all. And now whatever comes on top of this is just gravy. He has made himself a legend. He has made himself an all-time great college football coach, if we're being honest. And he's still going to have everything that he wants in front of him in terms of money or job opportunities down the line. So did it maybe take away the opportunity for, for him to be Notre Dame's head football coach in, in this career? Yeah, probably. But that's only one job, and there's a lot of other ways to – you know, leave your legacy or compete at the highest level of the sport or make as much money as you've ever wanted. And he still has all that in front of him. And, and you know what? We talked about money is coming down the road with the Big 12, too. I mean, yeah. it's not suddenly this that, that he he's going to be stuck in this job and making certainly the same money he's making. There's more money coming if he wants it. So yeah. I, I don't I, listen. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I'm going to be willing to bet you he has zero regrets about this decision. Zero. I'm not one to act like there's no difference between $10 million and $5 million. You know, I think doubling your pay is always a good thing when you can do it. And people sometimes talk about that like it, it doesn't matter. But at the same time, he is making millions of dollars and going to be making millions more of dollars. And he's going to get every bonus that UC can throw at him and everything else. So he's going to be just fine. More money is coming. And again, he can always go to the NFL or take another big job that comes his way and, and one of the other power conferences that can afford to pay him more. So yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I don't think he will ever regret this. I think he, he played it just right. Yep. All right, let's get into our betting segment. We'll start on Thursday night. We've got Steelers at the Vikings. The Vikings are a three point favorite. The total for that game is 44. I still think the Steelers are trash. I know Minnesota is so wildly, crazily, stupidly inconsistent and maybe they folded 10, I don't know, but they're still on the cusp of the playoffs in that crazy NFC race at 5-7. and seven. You know, I don't know if Pittsburgh's win Sunday told me more about Pittsburgh or told me more about Baltimore's just not playing very well right now, and Pittsburgh got the right team at the right time, and they grinded their way to that win, and, you know, they're a two-point conversion away from losing. I, I just don't think they're good. I'm, I'm going to go Minnesota here, 27-13, so the Vikings in the under for me. Vikings and under for you. I'm I'm on the other side of this. I think the Steelers are going to be a factor this year. As much as I don't want them to be and as much as I think they stink, for whatever reason, they're just going to hang around and they're going to be in there at the end still and they're going to be a factor. I'm, I'm going to say they pull this one out. I'm going Steelers 24, Vikings 21. So I'm on the Steelers and the over opposite on, on both sides of you. So that brings us to Sunday at 425. We've got the 49ers at the Bengals. The 49ers are a one-point favorite. The total is 49. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out, is, is this an injury line? I, I don't quite figure out the line. I mean, I Frisco does have the home win over the Rams, but 
I mean, what have, what have they done? They beat the Jags. They beat the Vikings. They just lost at Seattle, which was horrible. I, I don't. I honestly don't understand this line. I think the Bengals get back on the track. Um, I think they grind their way in the run game to a win, and I think the defense shows up even without Logan Wilson. I'm going to go Bengals 27-20. So that is Bengals and the under there by two. I'm on the opposite again here. I'm just worried. I mean, Logan Wilson not being in the middle of that defense is a concern. Joe Burrow being banged up is a concern for me. The offensive line, hopefully it's closer to being healthy, but it's still a concern for me. I'm going 49ers in a close one, 27-24, so I'm on 49ers and the over. And I'm going to tell you the Bengals will rush for over 150 yards. Okay, I like that. Are you saying that because of the 49ers defense or because the Bengals Both. are going to be so committed? Both. Both committed, getting Riley Reef and Hopkins back, and, and Frisco gives up 4.4 yards per rush. There you go. Sunday night, 820. We've got Bears at the Packers, which why this is the Sunday night game instead of the Bengals 49ers makes absolutely no sense. But the Packers are a 12 and a half point favorite. The total is 43. Well, I I, I don't really know how all the flex rules work, but 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 networks are allowed to flex and protect. And I think that's why the Bengals got flexed to the 425 time frame as opposed to being out of the one. So I think that was their choice to make that the national game for them as opposed to the Sunday night game. I believe that's how that worked. But anyway, um, Aaron Rodgers says he doesn't regret saying he owns Chicago. And so here at home, I think he does what he does in moments like this. And he just scorches the earth with them. I'll go. uh, And Justin Fields is back in the starting lineup. And that makes me go, ha, because I don't think he's very good. And he's not good yet. I don't know if he's ever going to be good. Um, I don't know if Matt Nagy helps that or not. This might be Matt Nagy's last game as Bears coach, too, for all we know. I'm going to go. I'm going to go 34-13. I'll go 34-14. I need David Montgomery or Khalil Herbert to score a touchdown for me, whichever one starts. So I'm I'll, I'm going to go with my own. Head. I'll go 34-14, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. So you're on Packers and the over there. I'm in a similar boat, but I, I'm on the under in terms of the total. I'm going Packers 28, Bears 10. I don't think I need to get into that any farther. I'm same boat with you. Aaron Rodgers is going to light them up. Monday, 8-15, Rams at Cardinals. Cardinals are a two-point favorite. This is going to be a very good one. 51 is the total. I I love the Cardinals here. Listen, I think the Rams are good, and and they got a nice get-right game with Jacksonville that they needed desperately because they were teetering on an implosion. Which I mean, doesn't Arizona, make sense. They have too much talent for that. They they do, and it just hasn't meshed. You know, Arizona's now got got their guys back, um, and I think that's a huge thing. If you look at the you know the the Panthers' loss, you can argue that was a Colt McCoy game. The only other loss was a tough one to the Packers, twenty four twenty one. I mean, you're, you're talking about a team, and it's got most of its hands on deck. It is the best team in the NFL, and I think they're going to show it on on Monday night. I'll go. Uh, I'll go Arizona. I'll go Arizona thirty twenty one. So that's uh, you're right on the total there. Can you? All uh, right, let's go. Let's go thirty. Uh, let's go thirty twenty. Thirty twenty. I like it. So you've got cards and the over or in the under. I'm on the opposite again. This is going to be a decisive week for us here in terms of the standings. I'm going Rams twenty eight, Cardinals twenty one. Wow. Rams and the under. I just I, I look. It's been a chaotic season. It's hard to predict. I I'm going to go ahead and say the Rams, they, they need the win bad. I'm going to say they pull the upset here. Yeah. I just think getting Kyler Murray back last week and um, you know, the fact that they ran the ball for almost 150 yards and that defense creates turnovers and Matthew Stafford likes to turn it over. He seems to enjoy that. Uh, I, I just, I don't know. I love the Cardinals here. All right. I'll admit I asked for 
ask any anything questions a little bit late this week. I was, I was busy Xavier game and KU game last night type situation. We really don't have much for, uh, we have one question we can get into if you like, All right, let's, let, let's get into the one question. That's good enough for me. What local sports moment would you most like to see made into a movie? I assume this is coming on the, the heels of the UC win. And that's why it was asked. Hmm. That is a good one. Hang on a second. Yeah, I don't know if this is movie worthy. I'm trying to think what would be movie worthy, to be quite honest with you. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, they just made the Crosstown Shootout little preview documentary. And, thing. I, and, I, and I did not see that. I heard it was really good, though. Mm. Okay, that's what I heard. <laughs> I, I didn't see it, so I don't know. It was it was on our airwave, so I'll refrain from commenting. Okay, I thought yeah, it was I okay. It was. Okay, all right. Yeah, it was on Star 64, I do believe. Um, yeah. I did not get a chance to see it. I think I taped it. I might have taped it, but I uh, probably it's never worth watching. To around to watching. Um, movie worthy boy. That's a that is a great one because I'm trying to think what would be movie worthy. Because there's just not been a ton of Cinderella moments. I mean, you could argue the two Bengals Super Bowl teams, but but what what's movie worthy out of that? You know, maybe movie worthy honestly would be that whole night before Super Bowl in, in '88 with the whole Stanley Wilson circumstance and and how that may have affected the team. I, I, that that to me honestly is a bit movie worthy to be quite frank. I'd be cool. Yeah. Otherwise, we're like having to go back into olden times with like, you know, when some real stuff was going on, <laughs> like the the Pete days, you know, maybe. A, yeah. Well, well, that Pete, would be one, too. Yeah, yeah. Pete would be a good movie. Probably there's multiple parts about his life that would probably. Make well, they, they well, don't forget, they did make it on ESPN. They made a, a movie about Pete and it was just awful. It was Tom Sizemore played him, I believe, and he just didn't look right. And it was just a just dreadfully done, dreadfully done. Yeah, I don't know exactly if it's if it's a movie and maybe people don't look at this as, as much of a sports moment, but the Lauren Hill deal yeah, is probably no, one of the more good call. Uh, that's a great call. Yeah, the more storyline focused things that you could, you know, feel I mean, good you, type. I, I was gonna say you'd feel good and then you'd be weeping like a baby at the end, no question. Yeah, no question. so I, it kind of has that that vibe of you could make something out of it. Maybe that's more of a documentary too than an actual movie. That's a tough yeah, question. I mean, my, yeah, my yeah, favorite yeah. topic is the Crosstown Shootout Brawl, I would say. That's that's the one. If I was trying to make a piece of long-form content and trying to do something with it, that's what I would do. Yeah, I just don't know if there's a national appeal to that. I think there's certainly a local appeal to that. National, the Lauren Hill story, I think, will probably be a movie one day. And I would still love to see a, a movie about the 88. It'd be, it would be obviously a sports-centric audience. Just the whole circumstances surrounding the Stanley Wilson stuff and how it affected the team and then how they almost won and Joe Montana then breaking their hearts and, and all the behind-scenes stuff of that. I, I think that would be fascinating. Also, like a mini 30 for 30 on the Bengals locker room during the Kimo Von Olhoffen Steelers playoff wildcard game would be great. I did hear Carson Palmer on the Dan Patrick show talk about um, because they were talking about that Kenny Pickett play where Kenny Pickett faked like he was going to slide and then got in the end zone. And he was talking about how, you know, there's probably going to be a rule change. And he said, you know, they had a rule change for me when a when a guy intentionally dove with my knee and tore it out in a playoff game. I'm like, just name the guy. We know who did it, chief. You don't have to 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 tap dance around who did that. Yeah. Are you worried about the power of Kimo Von (laughs) Olhoffen and all his tentacles that might reach out and get you? I mean, exactly. Come on. Yeah, come on. I, the, the big thing, though, it was not even his injury. It was more like the implosion that was going on in the locker room and Chad yeah. fighting uh, Hugh Jackson and all these other things that were said. I, I would love to have the real story and some footage from what was going on inside that locker room. Oh, it sounded very chaotic. That is for darn sure. Yeah. What a, uh, what a great first playoff moment. <laughs> truly was. 
Unbelievable. Uh, pretty Bengals ass great there. Well, yes, indeed. Unfortunately, I think that's all we got for today. All right, it's all good. We got a lot. We got a lot in. So uh, enjoy the shootout this weekend. Should be a good one. We'll see if the Bengals can get back on track. We will be back Sunday night with our uh, Bengals podcast to recap the Bengals 49ers game. We'll be back with this podcast one week from today with our weekly midweek podcast. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly poultry edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. <laughs>